welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the interview uh, for TSRA. My name is Jason Hahn. I am uh, one of the integrated residents at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. I'm pleased to have Dr. Robert M. Sade with us today as our guest, uh, who is a professor of surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina and also has many roles in the realm of ethics, notably the director of the Institute of Human Values in Healthcare and the director of the Clinical Research Ethics Program. He's also been very involved in the cardiothoracic surgical academic scene, both the AATS and STS, uh, and has helped establish the Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum and has chaired that for many years. Um, Dr. Say, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Thanks, Jason. Uh, I think you just introduced me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have much to add to that, uh, except that, um, that my interest in ethics uh, goes back actually to my high school days uh, when I was um, when I was reading on my own because we didn't have any courses in philosophy or ethics in high school Uh, I was reading Plato and Aristotle and I just thought that was some of the neatest stuff ever continued that through college then did my surgical training and promptly uh, forgot about all that until I finished my surgical training uh, when I started doing some writing in the field of ethics and that, um, uh, uh, that became a small part of my academic output. Uh, I probably published 85 to 90% of my papers in cardiothoracic surgery. I'm, I'm a pediatric cardiac surgeon by training uh, and that's what I did for many years. Be, and I continued to write papers in the, uh, in the area of medical ethics, philosophy, and uh, health policy, around 10, 10 to 15% of my academic output. Uh, then a, a few years ago, I stopped doing surgery uh, as, as I grew, uh, in my opinion, too old to be continuing to do surgery. <laughs> and. Um, uh, and became a full-time ethicist. Uh, I've been doing that for several years now, and an active uh, locally at the Medical University of South Carolina, as well as, as you pointed out, at the national level, uh, at uh, in the uh, AATS, the STS, uh, the Southern Thoracic um, Surgical Association, and uh, I have also been active at the American Medical Association on the Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs. So, so I've continued uh, to be very active in the field of, of ethics, but at the same time still am sitting in my same office that I've been in for the last 40-plus years uh, in the uh, Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina. Yeah, that's, it's, it's very interesting to note that your interest started back in high school and re-emerged again after surgical training. Can you share with us sort of what opportunities led to being able to embrace that aspect of your interest uh, more professionally, because I think many trainees find these topics related to ethics and philosophy and and broader questions about humanities and medicine interesting, 
but sometimes wonder how to approach that in a professional setting in this while doing surgical residency and beyond. Oh, that's uh, that's hard to comment on because there are so many routes of entry uh, into the field. I, I, for me, uh, it was uh, starting to write <clears throat> about uh, things that I found interesting in medical ethics. Uh, the first paper I ever published, actually, was um, was an ethics paper. Uh, huh. it, I, I have several hundred papers in the peer review literature, uh, and the very first one was in the New England Journal of Medicine, in which I argued that medical care is not a right, and uh, explained why it wasn't a right, and why most people misunderstand what rights are. Uh, mm -hmm. That paper uh, get, gained a lot deal, a great deal of attention, and I started being invited to give talks in various places on ethics. Uh, so wow. that's how I got started. That's not the way most people are likely <laughs> to get started. But right. um, uh, but writing about ethics is um, uh, is really a good way to uh, to enter the field and to gradually become recognized and uh, and begin to develop a small community, your own community, of people who are interested in ethics. Uh, another way to do it is to become active at the uh, national uh, surgical society level. Uh, the American College of Surgeons has an ethics committee. Uh, the uh, Society of Thoracic Surgeons and the American Association for Thoracic Surgery both have their own ethics committees, uh, and you can uh, uh, do whatever needs to be done to get onto one of those committees. Mm -hmm. They all have, um, well, I shouldn't say all, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons uh, has resident members. So uh, I, the ATS does not, but, uh, but that's a good way to, to get started in the field of ethics. Mm -hmm. I think the, the prime way that most people are going to get started is by writing about some topic that you find interesting. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting way to start out with uh, with such a prominent publication. If if residents were interested in writing about ethics, uh, and and have not received formal ethical training in the past, uh, what do you think some interesting venues for them might be to explore? Do you think that it would be in the form of a commentary or as as an opinion paper that that can be submitted into different avenues? Yeah, uh, actually, I'm doing something right now that anybody who's interested could get in on. Uh, I have developed a scenario that illustrates an ethical problem. Uh, the problem specifically is how you decide whether or not to operate on a patient who gives consent for the surgery but refuses to receive any information about it. I don't want to hear about it, doctor. Please just do whatever, uh, do for me whatever you would want done for yourself if you had my problem. Yes, but I need to explain to you exactly what the uh, problem is that you have and what uh, needs to be done about it, what the options are. So, stop, doctor, please. I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> don't even start to tell me about it. Uh, just do the operation, whatever you think is best. Well, what do you do in a situation like <laughs> right. that? Is that informed consent? Well, it's consent. How much, how much information do you need in order to consider it informed? 
But in this case, there's zero information. The patient right. refuses to accept it. So do you do the operation? It's become urgent. When it wasn't urgent, you could say, you know, I'm not going to do that. But now that it's urgent. So, you know, that, that's what is going to be coming out soon. Uh, what I'm going to do is to circulate that scenario mm -hmm. to the membership of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. And if you would like, I can circulate it to the Thoracic Surgery Residents Association members as well uh, and invite 500-word commentaries. Wow. It's, in other words, it's a short commentary, but it ends up as a published paper in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. I got gotcha. uh, So, you know, that's, that's one way that you can do it. Uh, th there is another simple way uh, if you're if you don't want to write a, a longish uh, analytical paper on some ethical issue, uh, the American Journal of Bioethics sends out what they call target articles, uh, probably once or twice a month, uh, and they invite commentaries in the same way as I just described uh, that are relatively short on some ethical issue. You could get in contact with the American Journal of Bioethics and ask them to put you on their mailing list. And mm -hmm. then you would get those target articles and you could decide whether uh, any particular one is worthy of a commentary, uh, something that you're interested in. So that's another way. Uh, and a, uh, probably the, the best way, although it's not the easiest, is to pick a subject in general field of ethics that you're particularly interested in, you know, a problem that you've come across in your own personal experience mm -hmm. uh, or some more general uh, issue, and write an analytical paper. Uh, any of you that are interested in doing that, there are people uh, who are experienced in ethics, such as myself, who would uh, enjoy working with you and developing a paper that is publishable, either in the uh, cardiothoracic surgical literature or the ethics literature. Yeah, these, these are wonderful options. And, and I, I think it would be incredibly helpful information for, for the rest of the residents listening to this. And, and I'll be sure to connect that information to the, uh, to the, the organization leadership as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum and uh, what the inspiration behind that was? and, and and what that's grown into? Oh, absolutely. Um, around 20 years ago, almost exactly 20 years ago, I came across a paper uh, when I was uh, doing some research looking for something else, uh, in which a, um, a, a paper that was uh, published in one of the medical journals, not, not surgical, a medical journal, um, described a study in which they looked at at uh, numerous papers from the medical literature, the New England Journal, the, uh, from JAMA, the JCI, mm -hmm. and the surgical literature, uh, surgery, uh, the, uh, uh, the Journal of the American College of Surgery, uh, etc. And, um, and they looked specifically for any mention of an ethical issue whether it was discussed in length or not uh, in those published papers. And what they found was that there was a gap. Mm -hmm. There was 400% uh, more mention of ethics in the medical literature than in the surgical literature. So I thought, yeah. gosh, that's really interesting. I <laughs> right. wonder why that is. Uh, 
so, uh, so I did a small pilot study within my own university, uh, found that there was no difference in the understanding or interest in ethical problems among the surgical specialties versus the medical specialties. And although it was a negative finding with respect to what I was looking for, I presented it at the society at the uh, Southern Thoracic Surgical Association meeting uh -huh. in 1999, and it was published in 2000. Uh, that generated some interest. You know, gosh, that's an interesting observation. What what is going on there? And as a result of some conversations with the newly appointed editor of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery, uh, as well as uh, as Martin McNeely, who is a thoracic surgeon at the uh, University of Toronto, uh, we, uh, Martin and I uh, decided to create an organization that would interest itself in producing ethics education for the field of cardiothoracic surgery. And this was partly enabled by the, editor, the new editor of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery, uh, namely uh, Hank Edmonds mm -hmm. at that time. <clears throat> now talking 20 years ago, uh, who uh, asked me to be an associate editor in charge of ethics for the annals. So um, what Martin and I did was to start creating ethical uh, conferences, essentially, hour-long sessions at the uh, Society of Thoracic Surgeons uh, and the Southern Thoracic Surgical Association initially, then the AATS, uh, was interested in doing the same thing, and then later the Western Thoracic Surgical Association was interested in doing it. And now all four of those organizations have an hour to an hour and a half ethics session at all of its annual meetings. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, those sessions, uh, mainly uh, because of my interest in, in uh, publication and editing, are all published in either the Annals of Thoracic Surgery or the Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery, depending on which meeting the oral presentations took place at. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and that's been going on now for, uh, for nearly 20 years. Uh, we have over 50 such uh, presentations that have been published in, uh, in, those, in those two journals. And the membership of the Ethics Forum, which is the name of the organization that Martin and I created, in uh, around 2000, um, the membership has written during the past 20 years over 450 papers yeah. that have been published in the cardiothoracic literature, the surgery literature, and the ethics literature. So it's been uh, really quite productive. The, uh, the Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum uh, started out small 20 years ago, but eventually it came to comprise the membership of the ethics committees of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons and the AATS, uh, and as well as a few at-large members. So we now have about 25 members of the uh, Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, uh, and it's a, a very productive uh, group. We meet twice a year at the annual meetings of the AATS and of the STS, and we choose topics for presentation at our annual meetings, uh, and um, uh, and from those selected topics, uh, I cre usually create a, uh, a vignette that illustrates the problem. 
find people who are interested in debating it. I always try to find people who are uh, who are have polar opposition, uh, you know, at one end or the other. Uh, I, I can always find people who can make an intellectual argument out of anything. You know, I'll take either side of that. I, I can argue either side of that. I don't like those because you get much more fire, much more uh, uh, passionate debates if you pick people who really feel in their heart of hearts that uh, that this is the correct position and that other guy is just dead wrong. You know, if you can find two people like that, you got a really good debate. So, uh, so most of our sessions are debates, uh, not all of them. Sometimes we have lectures, sometimes we have roundtables. <clears throat> but, um, but we do a good bit of that now at our national meetings and in both the uh, Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery, which is owned by the AATS uh, and also publishes the Western Thoracic Papers and uh, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons that owns the Annals of Thoracic Surgery uh, and also includes the Society of Thoracic Surgeons paper. I mean right. the uh, uh, Southern Thoracic Surgical Association papers. Uh, so, so we've been uh, producing a good deal of education for cardiothoracic surgery that has uh, grown increasingly over the last 20 years or so. Yeah, it's been a, it's a, the account that you describe is, is very prolific in a very short period of time. I hope that it's certainly done a lot to uh, address that imbalance that you were talking about between the medical and the surgical literature. Um, hopefully we're, we're down from the 400% that you described. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of good production regarding ethical materials uh, for all surgeons at all stages to learn from. Um, I guess when it comes to residency and CT surgery uh, trainees trying to learn more about ethics as you grapple with difficult patient scenario or maybe a, a family encounter that leaves you looking for more answers, um, what, what do you think uh, might be a role uh, for ethics education among trainees? Um, giving them tools to cope with these kinds of situations and navigate uh, the grayer aspects of training that are not technical and more among the uh, philosophical domain. Right. The fact that it's not technical, it doesn't, uh, that ethics doesn't have a lot of science in it, uh, there are some of course, uh, uh, it works against ethics education in residency training because residents don't have a lot of time to study, uh, and, um, and what they're mainly interested in is the science that underlies whatever specialty they're in, and the technical aspects of doing the surgery, that's what they focus on, that's what they need to focus on. So uh, ethics education uh, really is difficult to bring about, but there are some methods that, uh, that have been developed over uh, over the last few years, uh, it still is a fairly effort, uh, that looks like it could be uh, fairly easy to introduce education in ethics into residency training fairly painlessly. Uh, the method was, uh, was pioneered over the last uh, oh, 10 to 15 years. Angelos is, a, uh, is an endocrinolo endocrinological surgeon at the University of Chicago, and he also is an ethicist. Uh, he has been trained at the McLean Center for Ethics at the University of Chicago, and he now runs a surgical section of ethics uh, within uh, the McLean Center. 
uh, and he started to introduce ethics discussions into uh, morbidity and mortality conferences that we all have at least once a month. I think that most academic programs have those once a week. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and, <clears throat> uh, and that idea was recently uh, picked up by the University of Toronto. Uh, for the last uh, four or five years at the University of Toronto, uh, the methodology that they've developed is that one grand rounds, uh, I'm sorry, one M&M conference a month is uh, partially devoted to ethics. A resident is assigned an ethics topic based on a case, on an actual case that came up uh, during the previous month or two. Uh, and that resident does some research into the ethics underlying the issue that's uh, being discussed. And uh, once a month, uh, half an hour of one of the M&M conferences is devoted to a presentation by the resident of the ethics issues uh, that were that he was assigned. Uh, he has a mentor uh, from the Department of Surgery faculty who uh, helps him to develop a talk based on, on that. And the talk is uh, 10 or 15 minutes long, and the rest of the session is discussion by the residents. Uh, at the University of Toronto, this has been extremely successful. Mm -hmm. uh, when the... the uh, uh, the, the woman who, the surgeon, who uh, introduced it from Chicago to Toronto uh, uh, re, uh, left for a few months to have a baby and was gone for three or four months. <laughs> the residents insisted on continuing to have that session at, their, at one of their weekly conferences, one a month of their weekly conferences, uh, and, and have uh, continued to do it enthusiastically. Uh, so... It's a, it's a method of not formal training. You know, there's no book involved. It involves cases that have actually come up on the service, which is, of course, the best way to find uh, cases that will be of interest to residents when it's their own cases that they had to think their way through. Uh, and, uh, and apparently it's worked extremely well. Uh, it doesn't work as, I don't think it would work as well within a division of cardiothoracic surgery because the number of cases is much smaller than in a department of surgery. Mm -hmm. So I think it works well at the departmental level. I don't know how well it would work at the uh, divisional level. Uh, we have not started it at my institution, but I do think that the experience at the University of Chicago and at the University of Toronto has, has been outstanding in introducing ethics topics and general understanding of how to identify ethical issues, uh, which is part of the, one of the problems of, of uh, ethics in surgery. Um, it's, it's worked out very well as far as training cardiothoracic and general surgery residents. So that's one method that can be used. Uh, there are a number of other ideas uh, that could be pursued along the same lines. Uh, so, uh, so that's something that we are going to be undertaking at my university. We have not started it yet, uh, but we're going to. All of this is really quite recent. Uh, up until now, there really have been very few ways that residents can be exposed uh, to ethical issues unless they're particularly interested in ethical issues. And I've had several residents 
with whom I've written uh, one or more papers. Uh, and in fact, one of our uh, cardiac surgeons, a pediatric cardiac surgeon, uh, has written several papers uh, with me. <clears throat> He's never written an ethics paper before, but he was interested <laughs> in it. And we now have written a, a couple of papers and a book chapter. And, you know, it's, uh, he, he is off into a career in ethics as well as in pediatric <laughs> cardiac surgery. Right. Uh, so finding someone who's interested in doing this, uh, not necessarily a surgeon. It can be an ethicist within, uh, within the Department of Surgery or within the Department of Philosophy at your own university. There are people, uh, especially those who are in ethics consultation services, which almost every hospital, every academic hospital uh, has now, uh, they, they have ethicists who would be very interested in participating in such an effort, in uh, either in general surgery or in cardiothoracic surgery. So those, that's another avenue that could be approached in finding people to help guide ethics training in your own institution. Yeah, I, I think the example that you brought up uh, seems to address what residents uh, feel often in that um, they are interested in ethics, but they're looking for ways to somehow incorporate it into the natural workflow of the day or the week or the month, or they find it you know, particularly salient or, uh, or helpful to discuss if it's something they've encountered clinically and can have a, an opportunity yeah. to discuss with, with mentors and, and others who have discussed or who have Absolutely. Real life cases are far and away the best way to get people interested in learning this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank, thanks, thank you for all of your advice. I think uh, for a lot of residents who are interested in ethics, uh, starting out as amateurs but wanting to become more and more academic, uh, you've shared a lot of valuable pearls for us, and uh, and I'm sh and, I, and I hope that many residents will continue to follow up on their interests. Uh, in wrapping up this podcast episode, is. Uh, is there anything you'd want to share in terms of what some of the future emerging areas in ethics in cardiothoracic surgery may be that have grabbed your attention uh, and, and may be interesting for trainees to, to note and address over the next decade of their careers or so? Oh, my goodness. That's a, <laughs> that's a pretty big question. <laughs> yeah. There are so many issues. I, I think one of the emerging uh, issues that doesn't seem to be related to surgery, but in fact it is, uh, is uh, genome editing. Uh -huh. uh, that is, uh, yeah, there's going to be a paper published in the, I think it's in the Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery, uh, soon on the topic of a, uh, uh, of a couple who want to have a baby, but they both have mm -hmm. cystic fibrosis uh, and, they, and the husband has had bilateral lung uh, transplants because of the severity of his cystic fibrosis and both, and his wife, who also has a milder form of cystic fibrosis, they want their future children not to have cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. And this, it, right now it's not feasible, but within the next very few years, uh, the technique uh, called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, uh, will make this uh, really an easy thing to do. Uh, the question is whether it should be done because right. whatever changes are made in an embryo, uh, which is where this change would have to be made, are going to car be carried into future generations and there may be side effects that might be unwanted 
effects of changing the genes uh, that are unpredictable right now. So that became a very interesting debate that we had uh, at, uh, at one of our national meetings. That's coming out soon. So that's, that's an area that's, that's just barely emerging, but it's going to be very important, I believe, uh, over the next decade or a couple of decades. Uh, one of the things that I would like to mention as we draw to a close is that if any uh, uh, of the residents who are listening to this are interested in, uh, in uh, delving further into ethics and ethical issues, uh, if you would contact me, I would be happy to put you on a list of people who I regularly communicate with, uh, sending them uh, the American Journal of Bioethics target articles when they first come out. Uh, that gives you the opportunity of writing a brief 1,500-word commentary on a, uh, on a paper uh, that's important enough to be in the uh, American Journal of Bioethics. Uh, I'd be happy to put you on the mailing list for that, or if any of you are interested in a particular topic, I would be happy to help you formulate your own ideas uh, and uh, perhaps put them in a format that's ready for publication. Uh, so, so just let me know if you're interested in doing that. My email address is my last name, first initial, S-A-D-E-R at M-U-S-C dot E-D-U. So I look forward to hearing from any of you who are interested in delving further into this field. Yeah, that's wonderful. Th th thank you for all of your time and, and especially for making yourself so available to mentor residents uh, in this arena. Uh, yeah. This has been a really enjoyable experience for me and I'm sure for a lot of residents listening in as well. So uh, we hope to be able to reach out to you for further insights in the future. And uh, thank you again very much. Yeah, it's entirely my pleasure.